And we are back. Welcome to another edition of the Dots. You caught Chase and I in mid-debate here. I—I uh, I don't know. He had recorded, so I couldn't respond. No, that's not why I did it. <laughs> I just did it because I just—I'm. I. This is a couple now in, in a row. I was saying this on the last show on Friday that we did, the real show, not the dots. Just it was one of the toughest shows that I ever had put together because I just didn't have anything to say. And I kind of feel like that now, like in the sense that um, I, I thought that I, – I, I guess shocking is too high. So for all of you that know or that you don't know, market raged today higher uh, because Powell came out and took a pretty dovish turn in my opinion talking about three rate cuts. Now, what's funny is after today's move, earnings yield on the S&P is now down to 3.94. Um, risk-free re- Fed funds rate still at 5.5. For those of you keeping track at home, that is the first time those numbers have inverted since 98, height of the tech bubble, um, which is pretty fascinating to see. Now, it'd be interesting to go back and look at the 80s and 70s, though, because I bet they were inverted then too, but it was a completely different scenario, right? Where you were inverted because you had inflation that you couldn't beat and you'd push rates so hard that it was crushing earnings. Right. And you still couldn't stamp out inflation. I, I think that you have to kind of, and, and here's the thing that nobody on the, on the, on the right wants to hear about the seventies inflation. There were some serious policy mistakes that certainly exacerbated it. But I think when you were in, you know, I, I, I think it's fair to say that it, in 60s and 70s, you had a much more brittle economy because it was so much more, um, maybe brittle isn't the right word, because it, it was robust. But I mean, brittle in terms of, it was so much more traditional and industrial based at that time, right? Yep. Um, with so much more predictable margins and margin levels and all that kind of stuff, because it was just more of a whole, you know, just, it was an industrialized economy. It's just much easier to predict the movements of an industrialized economy. But um with that being said, I also think that made the economy at the time much more sensitive to demand shocks, right? Just because it takes longer to adjust. You can't do distribution from warehouses and internet sites and all that other kind of stuff, right? So the thing that I think really separates this period of time from the 70s and the 60s inflationary bout, and and people on the right always leave this out and wanting to put this all on the lap of Jimmy Carter, and I think Jimmy Carter has some serious blame to take in that whole deal, but you would have had exceedingly higher inflation than normal just due to the birth rate explosion. Yeah, yeah, demographics definitely played a role. I, I think it set the table. Yeah, juicing, juicing the government transfer payments to the citizenry played a massive role too. Like they were, they were both huge. Like it's, it was almost to the point where like it, I always struggle with the whole like Volker's a hero stuff because at the end of the day, like that you baked all that into the cake. Like. If he would have sat back and done far less, I think the end of the end result would have been the same. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it takes, you know, a little bit longer or whatever. Sure. But like, j- just like, just like I feel the same in the U S like inflation was going to come down, whether they did five and a half or not. Right. Look, look at Japan. It's the inflation skyrocketed. Now it's really coming back down hard and they raised rates zero times. The, 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 the one that I just am laughing about though today is that the fed is, why is the fed talking rates? Well, this might be somewhat, uh, controversial. I don't think it is. I think there are two reasons why the Fed got decidedly dovish today. I think the Fed is, and you and me may disagree with this, I think the Fed is much more aware of the stock market. I don't think that they make decisions based on the stock market, but I think it weighs very heavily in their decisions. And I think that they are far more conscious 
of the stock market being the retirement fund for the country than they let on. And I think they are uh, an extension of the Biden administration. And I think that they are talking, I think they are turning dovish as much to bolster a Biden reelection as they are about economic health of the economy. Because if it was really, what, why would you go, if you're the Fed, now to be fair, you and I were both expecting this, so it's not out of, out of the ordinary, but um, if you're the Fed and you've had the experiences that you've had and you completely botched inflation, when you finally start seeing positive t- signs of, of winning that deal, but you just had the greatest increase of asset prices in a single month in the last 40 years, 50 years, something like that, why would you be going dovish now? There's only one reason. It's 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 well, Biden re-election campaign. To, to be fair, inflation inflation expectations have come down a lot in, yeah. in the last couple of months. Yes. We, we, thank you, oil. Right, 100%. Yeah. So now you get a rebound in oil, stock market ripping to the roof. You're going it, to – now I'm not saying you're bouncing back to 8% or something like that. But it, what I'm saying is – I and I will go along with you. I think if the Fed would have left well enough alone, I didn't think they need to raise this high anyway. It would have right. sorted itself out, broadly speaking. Um, I, and I'm not disagreeing with you, but what I am saying is that it it I, it just makes a mockery of them because it flies in the face of everything that they've been saying. Meaning, meaning, <clears throat> right in terms of. We're going to have to stay higher for longer. We're going to have to make sure we do all this. And then all of a sudden, you get oil pulling back, which has been a huge feed into inflation. The stock market ripping. If Guess what? Here, here's another thing I'm thinking today. I'm sitting there going, you know what? It's probably time to get really long oil again. And, I'll, I, and I'll, you know, obviously, we'll talk about this offline. But I'm sitting there going, when you look at what asset prices are doing, you look at what the back end of the curve is doing, they're trying to re-stimulate the economy. They're trying to have their cake and eat it too. They're trying to ramp this thing into election day for Biden, and they're trying to keep inflation down. I just think we're in a very dangerous place as a country right now where you've got people making policy decisions on the economy, favoring one candidate over the other from an institution that's supposed to be politically. Now, granted, you may sit there and say you like the fact that they're doing that because you're, they want to keep Trump out of office. The problem I've got is we keep going down this path. We keep violating rules and contracts that we have with the, between the citizenry and the government for the government trying to engineer outcomes that it finds politically palatable. Yeah. And that's where we're at. Yeah, I get that. And I do, think, I do think there's absolutely an element of politics in this. And I do think they will – I don't think they could – I think they could care less about the Biden administration. But I think – I do think – and Mark, Marco Pappas just really highlighted this well, though that there is definitely an orange man bad thing. And like, hey, if there's something we can do to prevent it, let's do it. Um, and I think they see an opportunity to try here. I don't, I don't think that's that's crazy to say at no, all. But, but no, but, 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 but they, they do have the backing. But there is a perverseness of that whole thing, which is you go, by, by doing that, you are threatening to tear down the exact same establishment that you say you're protecting. What do you mean? Right? Well, they're, they look, and they've been doing this for years. They're they're inv- they're violated their own charter. They're no longer politically agnostic. They they, uh, they never have been though. I mean, come on. No, I mean they to a, to a degree. I mean, you, you didn't see uh, not to this degree. They not to this degree. Things exacerbate over time. I get that. I mean, the LBJ over. years, they they leaned on them hard during World War II. They just became, you know, just an arm of the government because hey, it's wartime. Like 
you shut up and print money. Like, well, yeah, but I mean, we, we, you're, we, we, you had one point. What would you have? You had one point four percent annualized growth throughout the Great Depression. I mean, that's what you should do during that period of time. You should cut rates to zero. Yeah, but we're talking the forties by this point. I mean, they, I mean, they were running yield curve control like the whole nine yards. Well, I mean, they were also. I mean, and literally, their office was like in the Treasury. It was just like. It was just like you take orders from the treasury. That's what you do. Yeah. Well, look, if if you're on a wartime footing, which we were, I mean, to, we were to them, this is probably the same, or at least, or at least something close to it. I'm not saying that's right, but I'm saying they may they may view they may view this as an existential threat the way they view Nazi Germany as an existential threat. Okay. Well, the problem is is that Nazi Germany was an existential threat, and and them viewing Donald Trump or the alternative to Biden as an existential threat that is a political opinion. That is not a fact. But that's what everyone operates on is their own political opinions. Well, yeah, but it wasn't, it wasn't an do. opinion that Hitler and Nazi Germany were a threat. They'd taken over all of Europe at that point. Right. I'm, I'm not arguing that. I mean, that's a real threat, right? But I mean, yeah, so- Europe's not America. What? Europe's not America. Like you can – there's counterfactuals there. No, I, I understand. I just it, – it, it, it disgusts me the level at which – Look, I, I'm just a big believer in free markets, and I'm a big believer in capitalism. And I think the Fed is as big of a danger to capitalism and free markets, if not bigger than Donald Trump is to anything. I really do. I look at, I look at, I mean, look at the home ownership situation in this country, right? We talked about how it's a complete farce. There isn't any shortage. Why isn't there a shortage? There isn't a shortage because they kept interest rates at 0% for 15 years and all these big corporations tired of making less than the inflation rate on their cash. What they start doing, they start buying up friggin' homes. Whose fault is that? That's the Fed, right? So half the problems that create the social unrest that they're apparently trying to address, they they are, Bill Fleckenstein is 100% correct when he goes, they set the fire and then they want you to throw them a parade when they set up, when they show up to put it out. That's all we're seeing. That's what, that's what this whole thing is. I mean, the government and the Fed do the same thing. They break your leg and then they sell you a crutch. I mean, that's just, that's the way, that's the way it works. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I think with all due respect, I, I think that you're being a bit Pollyannish about it. I'm not being Pollyannish, being realist about it. I'm, 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 we're, I'm doing the thing where you, you, I'm not taking this stuff as I want it. I'm taking it as it is. Yeah. Because the Fed in 1930 stepped in and bought fallen angels and corporate debt. Right. <laughs> right. No, I mean, they didn't even have the mandate they have back then as they do today. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it, but like, it's a creeping mandate. It's a creeping mandate that they define. That's not true. Yeah, they, they, they can easily they can easily right now say, look, this is about the inflation has come down a bunch. Six, hold on, six month annualized PCE, the, the core PCE, the one that they anchor to, is one point nine percent. So they can say, look, we won. Like, you're welcome. We got inflation back down. There's no point in us having rates at five point five percent, and that is a completely fair argument. No, no, I agree with it, but I'm saying it goes flies in the face of everything they've said. Now hold I'm on. still I'm still stuck on Jay Powell's "There will be pain" speech at Jackson Hole. They were wrong. They didn't have to have pain. So that's because they didn't administer the medicine. That's they not were true. pumping liquidity in the other okay. side of the market. Yeah, yeah that's as fair. fast as they were raising but, rates. But they thought they thought you would have to have pain, which just means they're so anchored to the. Uh, uh, the Phillips curve that they thought you had to have high unemployment to get inflation down because they're dumb because that's stupid. Well, you didn't have to get un- unemployment to go spiking to get inflation down. You, you just needed supply and demand to do what they do. Um, and yeah, starting to get money supply down and all those things out, they clearly help. Um, and just, you know, to get demand down a little bit clearly helps. So at the end of the day, like they were just wrong about that because they thought you had to have 
5% unemployment to even get inflation back. Chase, how do you not look at this picture? And I, you know what? It's probably better that I can't. It's good that I don't swear on these things because today <laughs> is a day where I'm really tempted to, but I'm going to use an acronym instead. How do you listen to all of their BS? And the only thing that it lines up with all the time is higher asset prices. That, that, when they jacked rates, it was because they were scared to death, right? Inflation was flying and it caught them blindsided. It was a panic response. The only thing, because Fed's out there for the good of Americans. The, you know what this country needs desperately on all fronts as it relates to housing affordability, insurance affordability, everything? You need a friggin' recession. You need deflation. You need some, you need, you need a, you need a, you need a, uh, not a foreclosure, a default cycle. You got to clean this stuff up. They don't care. They're bought and paid for by the big banks and hedge funds. And all their whole policy point now is to juice asset prices. So you get inflation to pause out here a little bit. You lower rates, home prices start moving up again. You, the, the millennials and the generate, they're screwed. You don't need inflation to slow down. You need to go backwards. No, you need you, a default you, cycle. So there, I'll disagree that you don't. You don't want prices to go back down. Like you, at our debt levels, you can't handle that. Like you can really implode. Like not not just like a cute little recession or a rebasing or let the idiots in private equity that overlevered everything like go go bust. Like if you let if you let actual deflation take hold. What, what that could do is, is very significant. So I, I would disagree on that. I don't think you should allow deflation, but I do agree. Like, yeah, like the, the way, the only way to keep, keep a lot of stuff in check is to let it, let it fail from time to time. Like I'm, I'm like, you, I'm a free markets guy. Like I want to have not, not just success, but failure that, that keeps everything. It's like an ecosystem and you need the balance. Um, there is no balance. There is no balance. I mean, you, you say like they, they, all, they just want, always just want asset prices up, but I mean, they went down a lot in 2022 and they didn't care. They, they, they just pivoted. They didn't, but, but they should pivot. They, they, they pumped 350 billion in, in quarter one. But you're treating this like their job is to keep stocks down. Their, their job is just to keep no, inflation down. Their, their job is not to be involved in the fight as it relates to stocks. And asset prices. The Fed is supposed to be agnostic about asset prices. If they pivoted while inflation was accelerating, then I think your point would be more valid. But at the end of the day, like inflation truly has come back to target. So why wouldn't why wouldn't they get off five point five percent? Well, no, no, I'm not saying that they shouldn't. I mean, I sit there and acknowledge the fact that we never should have gotten that high. I, well, I mean, right. there's yeah, we've we've had that talk. I mean, this is the irony about also all of a sudden once again the Fed is seen as like the halcyon of right the 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 ultimate arbiter of economic forecasting, <laughs> and and I mean it's just a joke. Uh, the whole, you know like so I mean it's a comedy of errors. They're the key, they, and I've said this for years. And they and it, what's amazing to me, and and I ought to send them a, a Christmas card for it. Quite honestly, is as bad as their forecasting record is, it makes them very easy to forecast. It, forecasting them is incredibly easy, right? They're going to be late to the party, which they clearly were. You and I were sitting back in late 2020, early 2021 going, hey, these guys better uh, start inching rates up here, man. This is getting out of control in a hurry. Oh, there's going to be no inflation, right? And they're just just nonsense. Then they show up late to the party. They way overdo it. My whole point is not that rates shouldn't go down. They probably should. Right. And they should go down this year to avoid the thing. What I'm saying is the timing of going from uber hawkish, there will be pain to all of a sudden we're on the eve of election. Nine months out, we turn hawkish, like, or excuse me, dovish. 
And again, inflation's coming down, but so they think they got it whipped. What happened the last time they thought they had it whipped? I listened to them tell me inflation wasn't going to be a problem in 2021. And look what happened yeah. there. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, 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 these guys are a joke. The fact that they are, the, the fact that they are shepherding this economy and this financial system is a friggin' joke. It's a friggin' joke. Like you and I said it back a year ago when they, when they, when they did those rate cuts and we sat there, we had the same discussion with Stephen Mirren. He agreed, right? Where you're sitting there going, screw the rates. Pull liquidity out of the bloody market and get stuff to settle down. The, these guys think that ample, constant liquidity is the feature of a healthy system. It's not. It's not supposed to be ample. That's not the way markets work, right? When funds get misallocated, liquidity dries up. That's how things get directed into the right places. I, it's, the, these, I, these guys are just idiots. They're just academic they're just idiots they're ivory tower not stupid in terms of low iq just if you guys can't tell i'm steamed i'm just <laughs> and, and 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 it's nothing they did today it's nothing out of the ordinary it just hits you today where you know they're announcing new and and they're look i even think they're to blame for the market reaction today they have gotten this market so juiced on fed money for the last 15 years that no really and i mean look it goes into our research. I'm not saying people are wrongheaded to do this. What do we do if we have shorts on and Fed's going to pump money in the system? Get out of the way. Not because it will actually necessarily improve any of the underlying. You just know it's going to make asset prices go up. Yep. And that's the world we live in. You know, people are like, well, Zach, you know, are we going to have free markets? And I look at them and gonna? We don't. These aren't free markets. This is a joke. It's like we're all, it's like we're all playing kabuki theater and we're, and we're, and we're all it lying to each other and telling ourselves that it's not. I, I mean, it's just, it's a shell game. This isn't a free market. I mean, I, how about you pause at 3% and start burning down your balance sheet? Screw your interest rate level, right? Let's get back, put rates wherever you want to. Let's just quit having a bottomless pocket in there. You know, and that's, that's why I say that they care more about the market. In my opinion, if they weren't worried about asset prices, they would have gone up a fraction as much on the rates and drained liquidity. Yeah, I'm no disagreement from you on that. And what's interesting to me about that is that the way they went about doing it was exponentially more painful on middle class and lower class folks than it was the rich. And same was the case on the way up, right? And I'm not saying they're out to, I I don't think that the Fed is twisting their mustaches behind closed doors and going, hey, here's how to screw the rich. What I think is they got a, I don't think that they have middle-class people in their ear. And I think that they make their ivory tower decisions. And I don't think they, I'm still stuck on the remarkable interview, in my opinion, where Powell sat there and went, we have nothing to do with the wealth effect. I almost fell out of my chair. Right, no, the what record wealth gap between the you right. know, inequality, yep. and you're sitting there going, "Well, Jay, wh- what do you chalk that up to? If it's not you and your balance sheet, what else caused it, Jay? We, we, what did the middle class people in America just said? You know what? Going to empty the check account, send it to the local billionaire. We, we got. I, I will say, like, clearly, globalization played a role there too. But well, yeah, but but asset prices are a big, big part of uh, uh, wealth inequality because that's the wealth part. Well, and I mean, that's what you see. Everybody's like, what's going on in housing? Oh, it's a doing. No, it's not. The same thing's going on in housing that's gone on in the stock market for the last 15 years. Bottom line, right? You're just consolidating the ownership of an asset class in fewer and fewer hands. Speaking of, I saw some uh, legislation being talked about where they will make 
make like large asset managers uh, sell sell down their real estate holdings. They give them a long time to do it. But I thought it was interesting that Congress is talking about it. Oh, well, thank God they are. And I, and I, again, I'm a free market guy and I can't believe that I'm saying this. I think they should go, I think they should go way further. I, I think they yeah. should cap, I, pick an arbitrary number based on, you know, maybe it's 50 homes, maybe it's a hundred. I'm not sure. Right. What no, it is. no LLC or whatever gets to own more than X single family homes. Period. Absolutely not. You want to own some apartment buildings, whatever, but yeah. And, and, and do it under antitrust laws. I mean, it, it's the same, it's the same stuff that applies, right? It's an antitrust issue. You got bottomless pockets in there, cornering an entire market and really determine, like for instance, they've and, done and, it, they've and, done it enough to the point now, now it's not just them. It's the Airbnb craze again too. Sure. But once again, Another offshoot, if you, I, I will flat out guarantee you this, Airbnb ain't sporting the multiple it's sporting right now if you didn't go 15 years at 0% rates. Yeah. No, there's no way. That's assuming, assuming like it really exists, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I definitely think they absolutely need to do that. And like I said, I'm a free market guy. I can't believe that I'm saying that. I also never thought that corporations would be out there buying up city blocks of homes either. Which, yeah, and they were buying them from, you know, people that just lost their house, you know, or the bank that just had well, to take it from people that lost their house. Yeah, in a case of for Black pennies Rock, on the dollar. How much how many fees did BlackRock make governing that special purpose vehicle that the Fed set up with two and a half trillion dollars? I have no idea. Billions. Jeez. Okay, so then they turn around and take fees they made from operating that SPV from the Fed and turn around and buy up city blocks worth houses. Yeah, this is a real fair setup we got going <laughs> on here. Yeah, that's perfect, right? So for those of you that are used to a 15 to 20 minute opening, if you couldn't hear me coming in hot and realize we're going over and I'm not apologizing for that today. If you go back to the start, I think you said uh, you had nothing to say today. <laughs> yeah, I've got a lot to say. <laughs> I just have those days where it boils over. Now on the bright side, I will say this, at least for us, I, I thought that today was really illustrative of, um, am I talking my own book here? Yes, absolutely. Um, but it kind of gets to the point that I think you and I have been pushing to, which is, in this environment, at these valuations, with economic indicators, now what you're saying, I feel like I can feel it. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I will be surprised if you don't see a data b- a bounce here in the next two months. It would be, it would be if you don't, then then you better batten down the hatches. It's about to get wild. Yeah, yeah. And so I think you're gonna see a data yeah. bounce. So I had, I had a tweet today, and I basically said like, choose your fighter between financial conditions, aka you know asset prices flying to make people feel rich and go spend money to get the data up. It's basically that versus the conveyor belt of re- people refining into rates that are still high. Like, which one of those is the most powerful force? And even though, like, the thing I've preached for a year, year plus is, hey, that conveyor belt into over 5% rates and it, the 10 year yield is still at 08 highs. Like, we're, yes, it's come down a bunch, but it's still a high level. We're, you're over 4%. That's, that's, so everyone that's refining in the next, let's say, four months, let's say they do cut in, in March. It's still a really high level. So, like, what's the more powerful force? All those refis and rates just where they are, or you know, a bunch of boomers yellowing the money that this hit their brokerage account. Yeah, uh, probably the latter at this point. I didn't think I would get to the point where I'd be like, you know what, data's data's going to make a comeback here. But we've juiced markets so much in the last six weeks that it's like, how can it not? Not not to mention the gas prices being where, well, they, where and, they are. And, and I mean, you're watching these indicators. You and I haven't talking about it today, but I have to imagine financial conditions are loose. Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, and I thought that would matter to him today, and he would, sure, like make your projections because you have to because inflation is low. But then, but then, like at least verbally, be like, yeah. let, let's calm down, folks. We don't know what's going to happen. Well, and here's where the political part of it comes in. I, I, there's no way to prove this, obviously, but I guarantee you he would have if there wasn't an election in nine months. Yeah, and I, and and I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with that. Like he I've sees, already said, he sees the data turning. He sees the data turning. 
Meaning, I think they know it's responding, which is why I like. I want to be clear. I, I think perversely, and this seems to cut against what I'm saying, but it, on an economic basis, I think three rate cuts next year is appropriate. Like, I think it's appropriate. I, I don't think we should have gone this high in the. In, yeah, we'd argue in that. Ten's appropriate, but yeah. But I also think that they should have attacked this from the other side of it with the liquidity. They sure. built a liquidity monster. But, but, it's not a rate monster. It's a liquidity. Monster. They, but at least they have been consistent on that. that they don't. They don't use the balance sheet. It's a one-sided. It's a one-sided policy tool. So, like, that's not like a new thing politically. That's that's been their mo from the jump. Yeah, I, I will I, give them that. I think it's dumb and inappropriate, but but yeah, they've so, been consistent. So, yeah, I know. Well, they've been consistent, but look where that got us. True. Right. Janet Yellen told me at two and a half trillion on the balance sheet, they were going to have it reduced down to zero by what twenty twenty wasn't that her? Yeah. And she goes, it'll dry. be as boring as watching paint dry. Now here we are at eight. Right. So it better become a two way policy. And well, the funny thing is, is it can't. No, it's, 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 a, it it's can't. a ratchet. It is ratchet. Well, you and I both know it can't. Yeah. Right. I mean, I fully expect if the Fed balance sheet does not approach or exceed $30 trillion in the oh, next it, 10 years, I will yeah. be shocked. Same. I, I, I don't see any other way out. It, well, actually, the only way out would be going back to the, the always lurking uh, productivity boom. That, that could actually, that's the only way you don't have that happen. Well, I, yeah. So if trees grow to the sky, we'll have as much lumber as we, I mean, I, the other thing is, is the more and more I look into AI, the less and less I'm convinced that it's going to be the productivity. I, I think it's going to be, I, I think it's going to be an unbelievable renaissance. Um, it's, but I think it is going to have much more mixed results than the internet did. I think that there are going to be significant societal issues that are raised out of it. I think it is going to destroy a lot of jobs and I don't think it's going to destroy jobs in the way that automobiles did. Everybody's like, Oh, that's what you said about the boogie whip. And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> that, that your, your buggy whip manufacturers started working at automobile manufacturers. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's the way that works. The purpose of AI is to get rid of headcount. I mean, that's the biggest boon it has. I mean, that's what, it, you know, that's what we're talking about. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I mean, I, I think AI is going to do incredible things. I think it's going to create incredible things. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying it is. Getting rid of headcount is a productivity boom. I mean. Well, yeah, it is not to the, not to the guy that lost his job. I, yeah, that, that would be assuming that they don't and, get And, and listen, I'm not making an argument because there's a downside to a technological advancement that we shouldn't do it. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I think that everybody is looking at AI as – it will be like internet on steroids. And I just don't see that. I think it's going to be less benefit. I think it's going to be very beneficial. I think it is going to be less beneficial for far more people than the internet was. Does that make sense? It does. I, I could, I, I'm just not sure. I could see it either way. I could see it being, you know, the, the full extent of the optimist, what they think. And I could see it being minimally helpful for productivity, both. I, I just could see it either way. Just depends on how it gets implemented and how useful it proves. But it, you know, being able to take like a thousand compounds or five thousand compounds, and be like, hey, which one, which which combo of these could work for for this medicine? And then it spits out like, don't waste your time testing all thousand of those. Why don't you test these three? They're the only ones that are going to work anyway. Right. That's so powerful. Oh no no, like I said, yeah. I, I like I I don't want to be one of those guys that's sitting there saying this new technology is we've got to stop it. I, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying. The expectations that are getting built in it to the upside to me are approaching laughable just because I just think 
A, it's going to take longer to monetize and implement than people think. Yeah, that part, I, I agree. Okay, and then B, I think it is going to have, it is going to be unbelievably powerful for some people, for for, for stuff, you know. Jet- also for scam bots and stuff too, as we've already seen. Well, I mean. So you're right, the societal like downside part is going to be very, very real. Yeah, I mean, the societal down part is going to be real. The other thing is, is I with the, implementa- the full implementation of AI, I don't know how you get around a, um, uh, what does what that refer a, a base pay for everybody? Oh, yeah. Which, you know, I mean, you're ushering in. If, any, if anything would bring that, it would, it would be if you get the massive productivity boom, but also one that comes with 15% unemployment, then yeah, you're going to, you will have that for sure. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't, I, I think it's hard to. Now, on the flip side, I will say I was doing an interview today, which is, uh, and what I was saying is, I think for those reasons, whether you like it or not, you need to have exposure to it in your portfolio. Right. You know what I mean? Like just almost like employment insurance. Yeah. If it, if it goes right, it's going it, it to, could, it could go very right. Well, and I, I mean, I think eventually it will. Yeah. Like meaning, you know, forget about call centers in Mumbai. You're going to have AI bots answering all those questions. Right. right. I mean, it just, I, no matter how I run it out, I'm like, yeah, you're going to have way less jobs. And then you have to, and I just, like I said, there's no like there is a very bad track track record for people that stand in the way of innovation and technological advancement. Okay, it's like talk about you know undefeated, talk about winless. You know what I mean? Like it will always win out, and it's futile and it's stupid. And humans will figure out other ways to. I'm not saying it's the end of times. I'm just saying um, the exuberance and the gusto that's being built into this. I just think it's overstated. At this point, I just think it's going to be much more of a mixed bag. Where if you look at the internet, people are like, well, that's the internet. Not really, man. I mean, yeah. Did the internet eliminate some jobs? Yeah. But the, you know, think about small business, right? Like think about the empowerment and the opportunities it opened up, right? It opened up far more opportunities than it took away, right? It had a cost, but the benefit far outweighed it. What I, I guess the argument I'm trying to make is I think the cost benefits of AI are going to be much more balanced than the internet was. That, that's my feeling looking at it today. I think it's going to be, un, it's funny. I was just having a conversation last night about biotech in relation to AI. And I actually think biotech, which is you, and it, this really spun me off on a, on a line of thinking. Cause I was like, isn't this always almost the way it's almost always the way it works, right? The internet company you had to own in 99, 2000 was Cisco, right? Right. It always works that way. It's that first mover where I actually look at the other thing that's attractive. Fade, fade the first by the third as I've, as I've used it, it applies not just to geopolitics, but stuff like this. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is I don't know if there's a sector. There probably will be because it's very rare that you get the exact right sector, right? Sure. But I'm looking at biotech. I'm looking at the relative underperformance it's had for such an extended period of time. In the last few days, it's actually looked great too. Yeah. Well, but I mean, it's got a lot of room to make up. Right? That's for sure. I mean, it's yeah. been a dog for a long time. Has it been I took a-, a stab at it. I think it was last year and it looked great for like, I don't know, two months or something. And then it just fizzled right back. Has up. there a sector that's underperformed this entire cycle more so than biotech? In the Bio- biotech's been falling versus the S&P since 2014, so I, I kind of doubt it. Wow. Yeah. So It's down 56% versus the S&P. I actually looked at it today. It's got to be cheap. Yeah. I mean, there's there's some like crazy expensive just nonsense in it for sure. Well, that's a lot of like – because they'll, they'll like IPO like after they start making like 30 cents you know, a day, but there's some just dumb IPOs there, but – um. In a lot of speculative, just crazy, crazy stuff. I, I was just, I was I was just using hyperbole to say like, oh no, earnings. Al, al, almost like almost pre-revenue stuff that will go like IPO, you know? Yeah. 
on, on hype and promise and, um, you know, Hey, we got some, you know, trials coming up for this revolutionary thing. And then it just, next thing you know, it doesn't exist. Okay. If we look at, okay. So the, the one point I want to make, first of all, I want to ask you the question. If we look at, um, if we look at a market forecast, when we look at the market today, and I'm not asking you this question yet, if we look at the market today, uh, how many rates is the market price? How many rate cuts is the market pricing in for next year? The market, so the market's pricing in uh, something like uh, last sold like 30, 40 bips more than the Fed is for cuts. Yeah. Well, like I was going to say, this market acts as if Fed cuts mean, Fed rate cuts mean we're going back to zero. Yeah, exactly. And that, that ain't happening. Like just like we said yesterday, you, you you dial it back to even even four three and a half, and that that's still higher than everyone financed into. Yeah. So again, uh, like the, the cutting cycle doesn't have the juice as it normally does, and the, you're absolutely right because the market is treating it like this cutting cycle will be as awesome as the previous ones. Just like we were all like too many people, were, me included, were fearful. Like, hey, if you're gonna go higher with rates than you've gone for like a generation, like you're gonna break a bunch of stuff, and we didn't. But for obvious reasons now. But the, the same reasons that are obvious to you and I that the cutting cycle won't be as good. Like clearly, no one's no one's picked up on that. I, I mean, I expect a data bounce, just like you and I were just talking about over the next two months, and it leads you to believe. <laughs> and if, if that happens with a gasoline bounce, then all of a sudden the Fed has it starts looking weird for them. And who knows? Maybe it will. Yeah, I I'm. I just am at a complete law. I, yeah, I just feel like economic law has been turned on its head and I just feel like it's really, I will say this though. Um, and, and I could be horrifically wrong, but you know, I watched our two year treasuries up 2.8% today. And I just lead, I just keep going back to, if you guys think this is happening when you're looking at data and you're looking at valuations in this market and everything, all, all considered, what in the hell are you buying stocks for? Why are you not buying treasuries here? I mean, like you said, the, with Fed funds and, and the, the earnings yield, like one of them is guaranteed risk-free and the other one is taking substantial risk to get less you know, implied return. Well, I mean, if you, look at, if you just look at valuations, you make the argument that you're taking as much or more risk than at any other time investing in, in, the, in the history of the markets right, right now. Cape ratio is roughly at 29 levels. Yeah. Now I will say this, and I was having this discussion. I, I have come to this conclusion very reluctantly, but I do think it's important. I, I, and we'll see if I'm correct, but I do think it's appropriate to no longer think of the long-term average of, I, I don't think we should see 16 price to earnings ratio on the market as a long-term average or a bogey anymore. Yeah. You got to, I, I think you're right. You got to move all of those numbers up. You have to move all those numbers up. Why? Because there is no threat of an eighty-five percent market drop like there was in twenty-nine, right? Because the Fed's going to not allow it. No, they'll they'll they, they, they'll send hundred thousand dollars checks to everybody if they have to. I mean, you know what I mean? Like they've just proven that. So the the pre the risk associated with equities, and I'm not saying that this is a good thing. It's not a good thing, but it's just not what it used to be. It's just not. You know, and and I think that's one of the reasons why you have gone so long without a recession. And people are like, we had one in twenty. No, you didn't. The market went up 16%. You didn't have a recession, right? I mean, they'll look back in time and they'll be like, oh, there's a short little recession here. But I mean, it wasn't, you know. You know well, I mean, we turned the economy off. Of course we had a recession. It was not a default cycle. Let's put it that way. Right. It was yeah, not yeah. even close, right. right? Actually, actually. It was, it was a recession. It was like a recession through the roof. It was a recession without a cycle. Yeah, debts went through the roof, right? And, and in fact, it really cleaned up what was actually. Consumer spending went through the roof. 
2019 was actually shaping up. It was like a lot of things were going down. It looked like you were going into a normal recession. And we actually, even though we technically pushed ourselves into one, we actually saved ourselves from one in a sense. Okay. Now we, we got to tie it up here real quick. But but as we sit here today, um, I will say this. Of course, markets don't give you that clear thing. Um, I would say if the markets stay here or advance even a couple more days, if you're short anything out there, my advice would be to get the heck out of the way. Because if it, this either turns into a sell the news and the market, you know, goes sideways to negative into the end of the year, or I just think you rip. I mean, the Dow made a new all-time high today yep. with, with lower earnings, lower revenues, and higher interest rates. The Dow, all-time high. S&P knocking on the door. What is it, 3, 3% away? Uh, less than that, I'm pretty sure. Okay, yeah. So I mean, I think Q's and 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 uh, S and P are like one good day away. Yeah, good times are here again. New all time highs by the end of the year. It 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 looks like it's going to happen. Uh, but like I said, I there are some things that aren't really convincing me. Uh, like some of the fangs have not broken out to their all time highs. Fangs were not that strong today at all. Apple broke out to a new all time high, but barely. Microsoft was red on the day. Yeah, Microsoft was red on the day. The Fed pivoted. I guess a little weird. Yeah, I I I I think that you're a few days away from saying all clear. Um, but you mentioned a couple of those, those, those things. It didn't react the way I would have thought it did considering I saw the market ramp. I was doing an interview. I saw the market ramp and then I went, what did the fed say? And then I saw what he said and said, he's expecting three rate hikes and went super dovish. And then I looked at the market a different light and I went, Hmm, I would have thought it had gone a lot higher. Yeah. To me, small caps made sense. They were up like 3%. Like, I'm like, okay, well that's what I would think. I would have thought all of it would have done. Yeah, I, I, I do think I, I'm going to be very cautious over the next few days just watching. This could very easily turn into a sell the news event. You know, when you think of the ramp up to, I mean, it, it wouldn't. There's no reason to not be bullish anymore, which is like a perfect way to, to have everyone get sucked in and be like, all right, see you going down. Well, I mean, I think there are a lot of reasons to not be bullish. Mechanically speaking, I'm right. with you. But um, what else do we have coming up that we need to pay attention to this week? Um, oh, the other retail one, sales tomorrow, which have a very low bar. For expectations. Okay, so they'll probably beat. He might already get the beats starting tomorrow. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, here, shouldn't shouldn't yet, but I, hey, and I'm just telling you guys, as unpalatable as it sounds, I look, I get it. It's disgusting, for, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm just telling you, I got that feeling in my bones that you're going to see a bounce in data over the next two months. I yeah, just right. feel it coming. If and if not, then you're absolutely going into a recession. Full stop. Yeah. It'd yeah. be the the most clear, visible recession indicator you can get is if data does not bounce in early Q1. So I, the nice thing about that though, is I think that we've got a break. We got, I think by the end of January, I might be a little bit accelerating that, but I think the, by the end of January, we're going to know exactly what's going on, whether we're going to ramp in and through election time or whether we've got a bloodletting on our hands. So anyway, anything else that we need to make folks aware of? Nope. That's it. All right, brother. Well, Hey, that, tw- that 12 to 15 minutes turned into 40 today. Yeah. Cause you had nothing to say. I had nothing to say, man. Anyway, all right, guys. Thanks again for listening in. We will be back, as always, tomorrow. I think Chase is going to have to roll solo. I got a little outing with the missus tomorrow. Uh, no, 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 no. I'll be here before that. Never mind. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download, download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. 
The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.